Hello and welcome to the Mindful Men Podcast, a show inspiring men to be mindful about their lives. Each week, we'll dive into a range of topics that matter to men and hear from everyday people doing extraordinary things. So if you love the show, please give it a five-star rating and share it with your mates. Now, before we get into this week's episode, please note that some of the content may trigger you. And if this happens, please reach out to your support networks. It's really important. If you can't get enough of Mindful Men, head over to our website. It's www.mindful-men.com.au. Find the show notes and the links to our socials there. But for now, sit back, relax, and let's get mindful. G'day guys and welcome to another episode of the Mindful Men Podcast. I'm your host Simon Rennie and today I'm getting mindful about my relationship with alcohol. Yep, today I'm turning the spotlight back on me and it's something that I've been touching on in recent episodes and a few of my circles around me pulling back from drinking. In fact, not just pulling back, but for 47 days I've been sober. From day one of being a 40-year-old, I decided to pull up stumps on my drinking and have a period where I am not looking for beer to make myself feel good, to socialize, to de-stress. In fact, I'm doing the opposite. I'm embracing all those emotions coming into my body all without alcohol. And this has been a big change for me. And it all came about on my 40th birthday, got a few different gifts and a couple of those gifts were beer. In one case, it was a four-pack or six-pack of beer. The other case, it was a whole carton of beer. And I said to my wife during the day, I said, you know, it's my 40th birthday. Why am I getting beer as gifts? And she said, well, Simon, that's because that's what people know you for. They know that you like beer, that you like drinking, and so that's what they get you. And I felt really empty about that. I'm like, wow, I'm 40 years old and that's how people look at me. And this sucked. I'm going to be honest with you, it really did suck. And it was kind of like the straw that broke a camel's back in terms of me actually thinking about this for quite some time. In the last few months, I've been thinking about having a period of time without beer, actually. And I've been not really liking the groggy feeling after drinking beer and I've been getting really anxious after a night on a beer. Did I say something to someone? Did I do something? You know, I'm not getting drunk or anything. Maybe a couple of cases I was, but not outrageous or anything. But these are the thoughts that were going through my mind. And Or did I get onto social media and leave a comment somewhere that I don't really like today? It's getting too many cravings on the weekends, but also during the week as well. It was not just a weekend thing anymore. It was during the week trying to manage stress as well. And one thing in particular was my kids were starting to associate me with beer a lot more often as well, saying things like, Daddy, hey, Daddy, do you want a beer? Or, Daddy, do you need a beer? You finish your day of work. And these little comments from my kids was something I don't really love hearing from them. You know, some guys out there, they might laugh and go, oh, you know, yeah, my son goes to the bar fridge and gets me a beer and I've trained him to do so. I've never been that kind of guy. And in fact, I don't want my son to do that for me. And so when my kids connect beer with me, it's something that really turns on some alarm bells for me. So what I did on my first day of being a 40-year-old, so 40 plus one is 
my wife actually took all the beer out of the fridge for me. She knew that I had committed to having a period without some beer. So she took the beer out of the fridge because I know in myself that if the beer's in the fridge, it's going to be a lot more appealing for me to go and grab one when I'm in my moment of pain that I need a beer. But on the opposite, I wouldn't drink hot beer. And so since that day, for the last 47 or so days, at the time of recording, which is on the 6th of October as well, is that beer has sat in the garage on the ground in a box and I haven't touched it. In fact, I barely look at it, which has been really good. I've been really grateful and proud of myself for not caving in and putting those beers back in the fridge. And so 47 days in, I'm actually feeling really good and I'm glad I made that decision And there's been a few cases where I've been tested. For example, going down to the local cafe, we went down for a dinner one night, which is usually a time when I would have a beer. Didn't feel at all obliged to have a beer. In fact, I had a soda and lime, which was really refreshing. I got to be really present with the kids and the wife and go home and not feel groggy. It's fantastic. And go to bed, you know, at a good time and not feel groggy during my sleep and waking up feeling good the next day. But a big one was AFL Grand Final Day and for years and years and years, in fact, ever since I started drinking, AFL Grand Final Day has been attributed with getting plastered. It starts early. It's a great day. Love my AFL. Love all the lead up, the build up. My team hasn't been in there very often. The last time we we were in there, we got absolutely pumped. But this is how I associate AFL Grand Final Day. And so this year I decided not to drink. In fact, I did the same last year, but last year I was fortunate in the fact that Geelong absolutely smashed the Swans and so the game was pretty much over at half time and we happened to be with some other family friends of ours, so we took the kids down to the swimming pool at half time. So that broke that cycle for me, that grand final cycle of wanting or feeling the need to have a drink. Also, as a 40-year-old, I've started to reflect on this relationship I've had with alcohol for so long. And I've been talking about it more and I think I've been encouraged by some of the guests that I've had on the show who've told their own stories about alcohol addiction or or drug addiction or gambling addiction and it's made me think about my own relationship with alcohol. Now, I don't look at myself as an addict, but maybe I've got an addiction issue. Maybe I really struggle to say no and put the beer down. And to some people that might say, yeah, you're an addict, but I don't associate with that word. For me, there's a lot of stigma associated with that word. It's not something that I like to use very often, particularly about myself. And so I prefer to use, yeah, I struggle with alcohol. And for a long time, it's actually been hard for me to say that out loud. I've known it internally, but not really say it out loud. And so I've been reflecting on my relationship with alcohol, and it all started as probably around that 14, 15-year-old mark. It was an end of football, you know, trip away with the team that I played for. Someone grabbed a carton of beer and we all shared in it. And it was fun. I'm not going to lie. I had an absolute blast. And in fact, some of the people after the, the camp came back into their own social circles. And when we'd come back together, they'd say, Simon, remember that camp? That was so much fun. You were so jovial. You were out of your shell. You were someone who was just brought to life by a beer. And it was a shit beer at that. It was a VB. So sorry for anyone who loves VB, but it tastes like piss. And I took that and I'm like, yeah, that's cool. I, I like this positive reinforcement. And so every time we would go drinking, I would make an effort to get you know, pretty drunk with the hope that other people would see me and go, yeah, Simon, that's so cool. You, you know, you're so funny. 
And that was important at the time because it was right at the height of when my OCD was ramping up and internally my brain could just never switch off and I was feeling so down and depressed. And so drinking gave me a coat of armor. It helped slow the thoughts, slow the brain. It allowed me to relax. It allowed me to have fun. It allowed me to socialize with people that I would not normally socialize with. As mental health issues for me really took hold, I became more and more socially introverted. I was scared all the time, and so drinking allowed me to not be scared. And this continued. I continued to do this. Every party, every weekend or every other weekend, every grand final day, every road trip, every holiday, and it just didn't stop for 25 years. Now, I'm not saying I drank every day because I didn't. In fact, for the first I don't know, 15 or so years. It was purely on the weekends. And it wasn't necessarily every week. But usually it would be a weekend, a Friday, Saturday night, me watching football or doing something, going to a party, whatever it is, involved drinking. But then over time, what happened is I needed more and more beer to feel that wave of joy, of relaxation, of calmness, of safety. And so I would end up being one of those guys who would be at the table at dinner, for example, and halfway between, you know, look around the table, everyone's got about half of their drinks still full, I'd be polishing off that first beer. And in fact, Simon Bartz and I shared this on his episode of the Mind for Men podcast too. He was doing similar behaviours. And for a long time, I didn't really think that was an issue. And people would say, Simon, I think you're drinking too fast or you're drinking too much. And I would deflect and say, no, no, I'm okay. I'm just letting my hair down. I use these excuses. I'm letting my hair down. I'm having a good time. It's okay. But as time went on and I entered into the workforce, had a corporate career in the public service, alcohol, yes, would let me go to those Friday night social drinks. But what it would do in response is send me on a whirlwind spiral of OCD rumination. And so what turned from having fun as a kid and everyone laughing if I got a bit stupid drunk and that's all a big joke and it really encouraged me for the next time, as an adult, it kind of went the opposite way. And so I would go out to a Friday night drinks in my workplace and I would drink too fast and drink too much. In some cases, I've been known to get up on the dance floor and make a big show of myself. Internally, at the time, I'm having a lot of fun. I'm feeling relaxed. I'm feeling good. I can see people laughing and smiling. And I think, yes, this is that encouragement that I had when I was a teenager. And this is good. I'm going to keep doing it. But then what would happen is I'd go home, I'd fall asleep, pass out, and wake up the next morning in a world of pain. Now, I'm not talking hangover because I've never really experienced hangovers. I'm talking about my brain would go into overdrive. And so what it would do is it would replay the night over and over and over again because I feared that I might have said something or done something the night before that may have offended someone, which could cause me to get into trouble maybe with my boss or with somebody else or could cause conflict with another person because I hate conflict. I'm a runner, not a fighter. And so I would ruminate on this over and over and over again. I would ruminate on it so much that it would force my memory of the night to become distorted. In fact, parts of the night, or if not the whole night, would become so distorted that I didn't know what was true of what actually happened compared to what my brain was trying to tell me happened. And what I've come to learn is that this is part of my obsessive compulsive disorder. This is what they call pure O, pure 
obsessions. And the obsessions are around having to continually replay things or events or situations in our minds, checking that everything will be okay, that we didn't cause harm, we didn't cause distress, we're not involved in some sort of issue that's going to blow up the next day. And this is a really tricky OCD, I guess, trait to have is because it's not overt, it's all played in the mind. And so what would happen is to alleviate that, I would sit through days of rumination, go back to work on, say, the Monday, the Tuesday, see the people that I think maybe I have I offended that person, they haven't said anything, I would kind of sneakily check in with them. Hey, how are you going? What's going on? And if they responded to me in a positive way, the relief, nothing happened. I didn't say anything that I shouldn't have said. I didn't do anything that I shouldn't have done. This went on for about 10 years, if not longer, and nothing ever did happen. I didn't ever go to one of these parties and get drunk or do something to the point where it was going to offend someone or I was going to get in trouble the next day at work or lose my job or whatever. And so I'd always catastrophize. I'd always go to, I'm going to lose my job or I'm going to lose status in the world, or people are going to look at me differently. Never happened. Or at least it didn't happen that I know about. Sure, some people might have seen me on the nights, and maybe they've changed their perception of me, but no one's ever confronted me and said, Simon, you did this. What's going on? And so this all played out in my mind. This is an anxious mind talking here. And every time it would happen, my wife would see it coming. She'd say, Simon, it's happening again, you're doing it again. And in fact, it was happening so much in 2010 that the period of time up until 2012 in that two-year bracket when we lived in Tasmania, for example, is when my wife really started to notice this and said, Simon, you need help. You need to go and talk to someone about this. You need strategies. And maybe it was around the alcohol, but I think a lot of it was underlying mental illness that hadn't been diagnosed yet. And so that's part of the reason I did go and see that GP in 2012 was to talk about some of this stuff, to wonder why I would get myself into these situations and constantly replay events in my mind until they become distorted. But what happened is I got into therapy and we never really talked about that stuff. We didn't talk about OCD, definitely. Yes, I was diagnosed, but no therapist targeted the OCD. We talked a bit about alcohol and said, oh, you just got to cut back. You'll be all right. Just cut down. You'll be okay. And for little bits and pieces, I did cut back. And there might have been periods where for a few weeks I didn't drink. But I'd always come back to the drink. I'd reward myself and say, I've been off the drink for two or three weeks. I deserve a drink. Or I would reward myself for a hard day's work or a hard week's work. Or if I'm really stressed, I would use it to numb. And so on the latter part of, my say, my 30s, it was all around numbing. I would drink to numb. And it got to a point very recently where... I just got sick of that. I got sick of doing this drinking to feel numb. I started to reflect and go, you know what, what's going on? What's the underlying things that you're not dealing with that are being fueled by this drinking habit that you've got? And so as I've got older, I've, and, and social work's helped me as I became a social worker, it helped me to critically reflect on that stuff. But also as I started targeting the OCD and really working on that, I've realized that Drinking alcohol is, it puts a Band-Aid on, on my pain. And so what I really need to do is work on the pain so they don't have to put the Band-Aid on. So on my 40th birthday, this, I guess, all came to a point. And it's something that, again, I actually had thought about it a couple of nights before. And I said, I didn't really feel like a drinking on my 40th. 
but I encouraged myself to do that, say, let's just go out with one big bang. And it wasn't a big bang. Yes, I'd had quite a few, and I feel maybe I was slurring my words by the end of the night, but it wasn't ridiculous like it was, you know, in my teens or early 20s. But what's happened since then, since, you know, in the last 47 days, on the day that I'm recording, is, yeah, I am feeling good, and I don't have those urges or the cravings that I thought I was going to have this far in. Yes, they've come and gone, and particularly around the AFL Grand Final Day, but I've got through, and it's been really good. I haven't felt the urge to drink. And one of the things that have been encouraging me to keep going with this is something that Simon Bart said in his episode of the Mind podcast, was if we don't place value on drinking, then that can help us to not drink. We stop doing things that we don't place value in. And so I've been, I guess, reaffirming this in my own mind more recently. And what's happened since then is that the kids have stopped linking me with beer. They say, Dad, you want a water or you want your cacao? I'm really digging ceremonial cacao at the moment. Or do you want a coffee? And this is making me feel good. And so I wanted to share this as a way of me saying to myself and committing to myself that it's time to have a break from beer. I'm 47 days in. And my next focus is getting through Christmas. And that's going to be a big challenge because we're going back to Tasmania for a holiday and, you know, a bit of a drinking culture down there with the people that I hang around. But I'm going to focus in on not putting pressure on myself, focusing on, on my wife and kids and my values as well. And I know I can get through that. And then I know that if I can get through Christmas, and I'm pretty confident I will, I want to push it further and further and further. And ultimately, if I can get one year without beer, I think that'll be a pretty amazing feat. But I'm not going to put that pressure on me. I don't want to feel like I have to get through to that one year. I want to feel like I want to get through to that one year. And so I wanted to share that to let everybody know that's what I'm doing. So if you're looking to socialize me on the Sunshine Coast or or whatever, know that I'm not going to go have a beer with you. Yes, I still like beer and so forth, but I'm not actively looking for that type of thing. Coffee, yep, cacao, yep. Maybe let's go do some exercise, something a bit different. But if you're not going to do that with me, and and that's fine, I don't know everybody in the world, but you are thinking about doing something similar. Maybe you've been thinking about this as well in your own life and being mindful about alcohol in your life. I've got some tips that I've been using that might help you, so I'm going to share those with you now. So the first one is telling people around you that you're not drinking. It's been a really big thing for me is telling my wife particularly, say, hey, I don't want to drink for this period. Can you help me through that? She's the one who took the beer out of the fridge for me. And I'm really thankful for that. But also letting her know and letting some of the other people that I hang around with know that I'm not, don't, please don't ask me for a beer if I want a beer because I'm not going to, I don't want one. So if I remove those conversations now early and let people know, then it takes that pressure off. The second one, I already already just mentioned it before, is take your beer out the fridge or tip it down the drain or give it away. At first, I thought I was going to give it away, but I've just taken it out the fridge and it's sitting in the bottom of my garage. I might give it away. I've got some family coming up soon. I might give it away to them. So, hey, if you want a drink, you can use this because I'm not drinking it. Just don't ask me to have one with you. The other one is switching beer for something else. And this was big on grand final day for me is switching beer for a cacao. Half time would normally come and I'd be pretty plastered. But this year I, I cooked up a cacao, 100% ceremonial cacao, went down a tree. Or water, just water. Water's, I mean, half our body's made up of water, so why not replenish it with just pure water? 
put some lemon and lime in it. It tastes great. Or if do the soda water thing, you know, low calories. I wouldn't advocate for, you know, putting in the Cokes or Farmers Union iced coffee. Love you, Farmers Union. But yeah, I wouldn't do the iced coffee thing. Anything with too much sugar, it's just, it's the same as beer. Like, and, you know, that leads to things like weight gain and all that. And I'm also doing this as a bit of a health kick. So I know that if I put in things into my body that are full of sugar, et cetera, then I can't manage that weight as well. So switch it out for something a bit more healthier. If you've done some values work, it's about linking your not drinking with your values. And so one of my values is wellness. And so not drinking helps me to tick that box every single day to live by my values. And the last one is remind yourself of why drinking doesn't serve you anymore, why it's not helpful for you at the moment. And that could be that you're trying to lose weight or maybe you're trying to get on top of anxiety or depression. We often go to alcohol as a way to cope with anxiety and depression, but we forget that it actually leads to more anxiety and depression. And as a therapist, I know this, but I haven't been advocating it for myself in my own life as well as I should be. So that's also what I'm doing now. So why doesn't it serve you? Maybe you don't want to be groggy anymore. Maybe you need your license. And if you get behind the wheel and and lose your license, you lose your job. Maybe it's because your kids are talking about beer too much and you don't like that like my kids were. So these tips of telling people that you're not drinking, of taking the beer out of the fridge, getting rid of it, switching beer for something else, linking it with your personal values and reminding yourself of why drinking doesn't serve you, this is what's keeping me going. And it can keep you going too. Now, if you're listening to this and you need a bit more help with it, you can go to things like Alcoholics Anonymous or other gambling help, you know, not gambling, but other addiction services if alcohol is not for you but you're having similar feelings about another type of addiction gambling sex food you name it there are help services out there and particularly mindful men is a great place you can get some additional support so we've got two avenues for that it's the therapy business mindful men hit me up on www.mindful-men.com.au if you need a bit of counseling support around trying to get on top of alcohol Alternatively, you can come into the Mindful Men community group on Facebook where we share different stories and ideas with each other about how to be mindful men. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about hydration, and I'm sure in a few weeks we'll talk about alcohol. There's different ways we can be mindful about life. It's not just about meditation. It's about being curious about how we're showing up, what we're doing, and what we need to do to grow into the men that we want to be. So that's it, my public disclosure of me not drinking at the moment, which I feel really good about. I'm excited about this and I hope that it inspires someone out there, maybe you listening, to have a pause from beer, wine, something harder. It doesn't have to be alcohol, it could be something else that's really bothering you, food, sex, gambling, etc. Drugs is another big one. Maybe it's inspired you to go, you know what, same's happening in mine or similar's happening in my life, I want to change things around. and know that you can with this kind of encouragement. Well, that's it for today. I hope you gain some value from today's episode. My name's Simon Rinney, and until next time, stay mindful. Well, that's a wrap for today's episode, and I hope you got some value from it. If anything triggered your mental health today, please reach out to your support networks. Also, if you love what you heard, be sure to subscribe to the show and share it with your mates. For more from Mindful Men, you can check us out on Instagram and YouTube and I'll throw the links to these pages in the show notes below. But until next time, stay mindful.